We don't generally feel trendy at Heddles. Heddles is one of the more anti-trend fashion sites, even if you could call it a fashion site. I feel like we get lucky, though. And like, like the trend will steer into our shit every once in a while. Mm-hmm. We're just here. We're sort of like a fixed point. And then like, the people come and visit us occasionally. And it's like, oh, this is neat. All right. And then the, the prices of vintage things go up and then they go back down and, and everything stays the same. It's like we're like a cool little uh, rock formation in a lagoon and the tide sort of recedes and, uh, and then comes back in. But every once in a while, we're there to hang out on. Yeah, well, we're, we're here. We've been here for almost 10 years. Keep it up. But, um, there is trend in denim, though. Trend's kind of an important thing that uh, people need to know what kind of jeans to make or what kind of denim fabric to make uh, so they can target what people are going to want to buy, like usually several years, like sometimes in advance before they make the, fab- the denim fabric to make the jeans. And uh, a lot of a lot of thought goes into what they're going to make so it'll actually sell. We've got someone on today who uh, has specialized in that for about 15 years, I think. That uh, Her name's Amy Leverton. You might know her from Denim Dudes or just Denim, a.k.a. Denim Dudettes, uh, that she has been a trend forecaster and in working in denim for like 20 years. Known her for quite some time and we're uh, excited to pick her brain on what fabric trends and what denim is going to look like in the future if we even have denim at all amy thanks so much for coming on today thank you very much for having me david i'm excited to be here yeah, I wonder if you could give a little bit about your background and how you found yourself, you know, going to inspiration and you know writing denim dudes and you know finding yourself, uh, you know, trend forecasting independently right now. Well, um, I don't know how far back to go, but okay. So I I studied fashion design um, at um, Kingston University in London. At uh, that point, I mean, I had been a country kid who had grown up in denim. Um, you know, in my brother's jeans and he'd probably been handed those down from somebody else so a lot of lot, lot of secondhand <laughs> denim in my life from an early age um and I was obsessed you know I used to get like Vogue magazine and stuff like that. so I was obsessed with fashion and looking at all of the runway photos in Vogue magazine and really thought um as a young woman that I would work in I don't know like in dress design you know I guess like Oscar de la Renta or something like that and I think what's interesting is as you're kind of like cutting your teeth as a designer and learning your style, you know, I, I, I learned that actually I was a casual wear designer. And I guess that may have come from my background being a country bumpkin, you know, um, denim and casual wear was definitely in my DNA. So um, after university, I worked at a company called Okini. And Okini was a really cool ahead of its time company at the, um, at the time in London. It was about 2002, three, something like that, 2003. Um, and we were unusual. It, we collaborated with different companies like Levi's, uh, like Eversue at the time was really big, Lee Jeans. Um, but also uh, there was also sneaker collaborations with Adidas um, uh, every season. And we produced limited edition runs of 
clothing, apparel in general, um, that was sold online only. And there was this one store um, on Savile Row, actually, um, in central London, uh, which looks more like an art gallery than a store. And you couldn't buy anything. You had to go in and look around and go, whoa, those, that one pair of jeans hanging on that wall are so cool. How do I buy them? And then an assistant would say, you have to go onto this computer and log in all your details and give us the money and then they will be sent to you. And people were like, what? Um, and yeah, that was um, too early because <laughs> mm-hmm. I don't think it worked so well. We loved it. It was very inspirational. I met Mawson um, at that time. He was a denim designer and men's, menswear and I was women's wear there, a tiny company. We were too junior. We didn't know what the bloody hell we were doing and we would get sent to the design meetings with you know heads of design and we were just these kids who had literally never been to a factory and we would just get we got thrown into it and we learned really fast um and it was great super inspirational great to work with lots of different companies and understand their brand dna and uh, understand product and um and manufacturing on the job uh so i'm glad that the company was structured in such an unsound way that we could <laughs> get a lot of inspiration very, very fast, um, and 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 understand the um, the the world of apparel from the wrong end, probably. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the perfect place to cut your teeth. That you get to work with you know a dozen different uh, brands and see how they do things. And uh, I don't know, it was a thing that I talked to to Morrison about and how. He also commiserated with the fact that like, people would come into the store wanting to buy things and couldn't. But uh, yeah, like the the first one through the door gets shot. But you know what a beautiful uh, format to try out first. Yeah, I mean, so it was it was co-founded. There was a guy called Ben Banks and then a guy called Paddy Meehan. Paddy Meehan was the creative force behind it, and he was just literally ten years ahead of his time. And I, you know. We didn't know any of that at the time. We we thought it was, I mean, honestly, when you're like 23, anything's a bonus. You're going to Hong Kong, going to your first denim factory, like, woo! Like, everything was a bonus. But um, now looking back, I'm like, wow, that guy was a genius. I wish I'd asked him more questions. <laughs> because, yeah, online collaborations, limited, limited product with some of the coolest um almost well-known um you know huge casual wear giants i mean this is exactly pretty much exactly where we are right now (laughs) Mm -hmm. 20 years later so um anyway so i did that um i designed so they they didn't do they're still around actually i think but they didn't do so well in that format and we all kind of collectively got let go um it was a passion project that never monetized as well as they'd hoped and we got let go i don't know it must have been around 2004 or five maybe five um and then i promptly went to freelance i i didn't have a job and i worked for various different people like anything from georgia asda which is essentially you know like forever 21 kind of thing uh, super fast fashion, where I was designing 30 horrible tops in a day. Um, and then Emmanuel Angaro, because I had a friend there who needed some work. Um, so, you know, I kind of did freelance for a little bit. I worked for a company called Next, who were, um, they're like a mum and daddy kind of 
I'm trying to think of the equivalent for the US listeners. Sears, probably Sears or something like that. Mm -hmm. Like mass market, not exactly fashion, but. No, uh, it's funny because I was, I've always sort of designed, it's funny, like now I'm obviously in trend. And as soon as I got into trend, I was like, ta-da, this is where I should have been all along. So I was designing stuff that like I heard two years after I left, they put all my stuff into work. <laughs> and that, <laughs> and I was trying so hard to be like, what is, what, what they really want? Like, let's think of something cool and then let's change a few things about it that make it really shit and really slow and really behind and super commercial. And I was still two years ahead for them. Um, so it's obviously not very good at the job. Um, but yeah, I remember when my, <laughs> they were mostly really excited about this fleece that I designed. So in a company called Next, you do things like, um, like what do you call them? Like reworks um, of bestsellers. So there was this sort of classic dog walking fleece, just a zip up hooded, fleece basic basic and I was like oh why don't we get some like grow grain tape and put it up either side of the the zipper and then we can put the grow grain tape on the zipper pull and then maybe there's the grow grain tape in the hood you know seems Mm -hmm. seems like not directional at this point but at that point it's like oh I like this idea of this cotton grow grain wonderful anyway they thought it's a bloody genius they thought it was the best thing I'd ever designed in I was only there for nine months because I was not that happy but that just shows you the level I'm thinking god this is just an update of an existing dog walking fleece anyone could do that and I've got to all of this training and I've got all of these ideas but the yeah the jewel mm-hmm. in the crown of the time I was there was this dog walking fleece with yeah. apparently I I thought zero effort in design they thought I was a genius <laughs> well, what is the cheapest tweak you can do to make something still be like quote-unquote new yeah sort of the direction there yeah exactly exactly so there you go top tip gray yeah. grain <laughs> um so then I left there because I got a job at my dream job and that was at a company called WGSN. And WGSN mm-hmm. is a really big agency. And essentially what we do, what we did, I'm not there anymore, um, is trend forecasting. And trend forecasting, I don't know what the hell else to call it, but I would love to start calling it something else because I think it's a kind of problematic term. It, d- mm-hmm. it did over the years get me get me a kind of let's say mixed reception when I was going to some of these apparel trade shows and looking at uh, uh at designs um I think my my first intro to trade for uh, or trend forecasting was at a trade show when I was totally wet behind the ears and like didn't know what I was doing and I was talking to some designer I forget who and there was someone that came up from a trend forecasting thing and they like, started to take pictures of the samples and the designer just got up and totally berated the trend forecaster and was like, get out of here. What are you doing? Like, you're going to steal my designs. And it's it, not to say that that was, you know, what you've done is I've never seen any uh, reception like that. Everyone in the mm-hmm. industry is uh, sends that a very positive response uh, yeah. around yourself. But yeah, it's a thing that it, it has. A, it's a loaded term. I wonder if you could just explain a little bit what trend forecasting is in both the you know good and bad sides of it i would say in the early nought like say 2005 ish onwards 2005 to 2010 trend forecasting is essentially really like looking at popular culture um and 
what people are wearing, how they're styling their clothes, how people are customizing their own stuff, how young creatives and young designers or emerging designers are creatively, you know, launching new brands and what they're doing. And let's just say in a denim context, because this trend forecasting can be in interiors, it can be in Mm -hmm. kids wear and footwear, of course, it's in everything, but um, let's just say in denim. Um, And then how, you know, it's, it's basically human nature that you've got people who are more creative and directional in their dress and they will start wearing something in a certain way. Like I remember making a sort of legging like uh, pant in, I guess the late nineties, early noughties. And it was because the skinny jean was coming and I didn't know it was that, but I just was, you know, I was a creative person. So I was experimenting with a new silhouette. Um, and then gradually, you know, the cool kids at your school or the the coolest celebrities or, you know, the more f- people on the, the fringes um, who maybe other people look to, like the masses look to, would be wearing whatever. Let's say the skinny. It's easier, isn't it? The horrors, mm-hmm. you know, bands like the horrors wearing the skinny jean. I mean, um, they would then you know, um, inspire the masses to start adopting this silhouette or this gene and then masses start wearing it. And your job is really to help a designer who is sitting, you know, in their little design studio, wherever, let's say you're working for a mom and pop kind of next type of brand. And it's, it's to help designers figure out what they should be designing next. And before, you know, trend forecasting is a reasonably new um, area of the fashion market. Of course, before all of that, you know, people who design clothes had that sixth sense. You know, I design clothes. I had that sixth sense. Most creative people do. Um, but the designer's time got stretched thinner and thinner and thinner, as we know, you know, you've just the last 20 years of, of fashion and the rise of fast fashion, et cetera, et cetera, a designer's job got harder and harder. Time got squeezed um, tighter and tighter. So this agency and other agencies like it um, opened up and they're, basically it's essentially a lot of mood boards, um, inspiration mm-hmm. boards to say, hey, this is what you should design next. And Doing things like looking at runway, looking at street style, going to festivals and photographing what kids are wearing, connecting the dots between all of that stuff and distilling it down into easy to understand messages so that that designer can, you know, get into work on a Monday morning and, and um, they, they're, they're helped along the way, uh, you know, into what to design. So does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, I think it's a thing that a lot of people don't understand, like how when you're designing, you have to hit this moving target that's anywhere from, mm. you know, a few months to a few years yes. of what you're designing of when you're going to hit it. So like, and you mentioned the horrors that when, you know, they wear that uh, uh, the skinny jeans on MTV or whatever, like all of the uh, manufacturers have to have been in lockstep with that. So when people Mm -hmm. run out to buy skinny jeans, there are skinny jeans for them to buy. Exactly. And, you know, H&M were quite, they were quite early. Um, But the the skinny jean came in on, um, in women's wear before men. So loads of, I mean, the horrors would have been buying from H&M or Topshop or whatever. Um, And, you know, kids were doing stuff like buying jeans and taking them in themselves, you know, and all of that. See, that's what's so exciting about trend forecasting because, and I remember being this kid as well, when you, you don't know 
where to find what you're looking for so you make it that that's the very beginning of something that's the super exciting moment that i've just that's why i'll always be obsessed with street style because it's not actually available in the store i hope that that still happens today i think it happened a lot more frequently you know pre-internet really you know pre these days everything shed so so fast um i don't know if it would be quite the same because you know the way I was accessing my fashion information in the nineties was through, yeah, a monthly Vogue magazine. And there'd be the, there'd be the autumn edition uh, uh, from runway and the runways had happened, you know, four or five months ago, but obviously there was no point telling the general public about what happened four or five months ago. So, you know, my first sort of glimpse into a, looking at runway was on, you know, Vogue and obviously everything has changed since then. And any kid can literally tune in and watch the latest Louis Vuitton show live um, as if they're in the front row, which is amazing. But back in those days, yeah, you'd be getting out your needle and threads and trying to make your slightly slim jeans into a pair of skinnies um, because you may not have even seen anyone. You might just have a feeling in your head that that's what you want to wear. It, it was magical. If you don't butt in, David, I would literally oh, monologue. I, so I think I would. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to ask though, like <laughs> as things have become more accessible, is it that uh, the trend cycle is sped up significantly? That that's sort of my gut intuition that I felt as you know more stuff is accessible. Like each trend tends to go. There's a, a much shorter gestation period before you start to see things. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things have happened. Um, Huge changes have happened in trend. Um, I would say that there's fads and then there's trends and then there's macro trends. Let's put it that way. I don't, I don't know if that's the best uh, way of breaking it down, but um, I have a very smart friend of mine and she broke it down, I think, in a similar way. And so I'm going to steal her idea. Shout out to Shanu. Um, so fads, I think, would be, uh, okay, a good example of a fad is the tie-dye sweatsuit, right, of 2020. Mm -hmm. And now I am wearing a pair of track pants right now, and I do have one of the said tie-dye sweatshirts um, just in the other room, and I am still wearing it, but I was excited about it this time last year, and I bought it in February of last year, and I wore the shit out of it in March and April and May and for the rest of the year probably. Um, so... You know, something like that, it's very, like, it's quite bold statement. Um, it, 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 yeah, it exploded very fast because of many different things, because of lockdown, because the tie-dye trend had been going for a long time anyway, et cetera, et cetera. So that's a fad to me. That's much quicker, and it's going to last a year. Now, there are mainstream people out there who have not got the confidence to, to wear it yet and will wear it next year or this year. But as, as a trend forecaster, I, you know, I'm over it, like whatever, that's gone. Um, I think for most um, commercial brands, they needed to hit that in 2020. Mm -hmm. um, and you could see that one coming because of the tie-dye trend, um, because of Grateful Dead, you know, and then athleisure. And then, of course, pandemic hit. So that like fermented it, you know. So, so something like that to me is a fad and it's much quicker. Um, but honestly, it's funny because I do think that trends still take a while. Yes, I would say the sharing and spreading of imagery and information is much faster. Um, so I think adoption is faster alongside that than, yes, 20 years ago, 15 years ago, for sure. But as far as, say, I don't know, silhouette changes, it, it's, it is about your change... 
to to go from a slim fit. You know, we we've been so used to like the skinny jean took a while to take hold, and of course, in the authentic denim world, it never really fully took hold. Mm-hmm. But at least we've been familiar with it, really familiar with seeing it. Um, and so I think for me, say wearing quite a baggy fit because you know I. I am just very interested in trends. So I, I definitely am. I'm very, um, I flip flop a lot and I'm like, right, what's the latest thing? I kind of do gravitate towards what's new, but you know, market research. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. It's a side effect of the job. I can't stop myself. So like with, you know, I've got a pair of oversized nineties silver tabs, Levi silver tabs. And, um, you know, I've had them for mm, four years. I bought them when I was excited about them and I hardly wore them because when I put them on, I felt funny. But I, so it, for it to hit mainstream, a big silhouette change like that, even for me, it took me a while. I wear them all the time now and I wore them quite a bit last year. But I would say in 2019, I didn't wear them so much, but I'm, I've been excited about that silhouette for quite a long time. So it, I don't know. It's, 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 it's fascinating to track. And I think timing is something that even I'm getting used to. I mean, I've been in this world for quite a long time. I should be really used to it by now. But it is um, a difficult thing to get right because what you're trying to get right is the mainstream market, the big hitters. And get getting on a trend early is all very like hats off to you, big round of applause, but you're not going to make any money. That's the tricky thing. Attention, blowout listeners. Stop by the Heddle shop for a wide assortment of sweaters, knits, and Teamster tees available in the newest colors and styles. Our denim tops and jeans for men's and boys are made in USA and are available in a rainbow of colors at a low Heddle's price. Visit shop.heddles.com and use the code BLOWOUT for a special listener discount. Has something like the rise of TikTok, like, has that added something to your plate as far as, as like an arena you need to keep yeah. uh, on your radar? 100%. Oh, my God. So I downloaded TikTok. Like, so the thing is with stuff like this is I'm 40 and I have, and, and it, I could be like, oh, it's part of my job, man. I have to keep up with this stuff. I am fascinated by this stuff and I like naturally do. I think I downloaded TikTok a long time ago, but didn't start watching it until say maybe a year ago. Um, but I got super into it last year. Super, super into it. Um, Same. I, re- I love TikTok. Oh. It's a thing that I, I, I resisted for quite some time, but it's great. It's so I, great. I feel so much more culturally aware yeah. of like what's happening because it's just all these windows into random people's lives. Totally. That you don't get on any other platform. You don't. I, um, okay. So someone on TikTok, obviously, because that's the only place I consume anything anymore. Um, someone <laughs> on TikTok gave me this, um, gave me, bless me, thinking they gave it to me. Um, someone on TikTok posted a video that I looked at that described the difference and kind of like compared TikTok to Instagram. And I really loved the way they did it because they sort of talked about, they were in a parking lot and they were sitting in their car. I don't know, some person walked past and did something funny. And he's like, in his world, he was thinking in TikTok world because he's on TikTok a lot. And he was just like, that would have made a great TikTok. And it was someone just like fucking up or falling over or something, you know, or doing something quirky. and and. That's the difference. And he said, what makes someone successful and someone interesting on TikTok is just every, an everyday person 
with a quirk or an everyday person with an idea or an everyday person with a passion or whatever it is, just being themselves. And, and then if you compare that to Instagram, super curated, how, how beautiful are you? How, you know, how good is the camera that you have access to? How patient is your Instagram boyfriend? That was a very sexist remark. I'm, I apologize. <laughs> but, you know, um, and so it was just, and that, that, that nailed it for me. It's just like, yeah, what I love about TikTok is it's just humans being humans. Um, and Instagram is very curated and very forced, I think. Do you think it's impacted the way that, I guess it's primarily Gen Z, even though none of us qualify remotely for that uh, age <laughs> distinction. But um, do you think it's impacted the way that generation consumes clothes, dresses, uh, like adopts trends, those types of things? Seven years ago, five years ago, I would have dressed that up as um, Instagram was a platform where you could show what you liked and flex your cool, in inverted commas, with what you liked without buying anything. So like, I want and like these trainers, they're so cool. I'll put them on my Instagram stories or whatever. Um, and that shows my crush that I've got good taste in trainers and I don't sneakers trainers, but I don't have to buy them or I can't afford them. So I'll just show that I would have, I would like to. So I think what's interesting now is like the, the fact is Gen Z has grown up digitally. They have different identities. They have the identity that steps out of the door if they're lucky <laughs> during a global pandemic. Um, so they have the, you know, they have their identity that goes to the shops and their identity that steps out the door and their identity that goes jogging or whatever they have their identity that interacts with their family and like their brothers and sisters and like oh dad and then they have their online identity and you know they're really adept and like they find that really easy to navigate you know we probably can get confused with that and or or it's all one to us but for them i think it's different and i think tiktok allows you to be a different you know, uh, avatar. Um, and I think that's really, really cool. But at the same time, I'm going to argue with my own self now, <laughs> because I think the beauty, like David put, the beauty of TikTok is you really absolutely can show up authentically as yourself. And maybe that's a reaction to Instagram being like this portal for like people's perfect selves and their, their curated, um, you know, Instagram selves. But anyway, I don't know, I'm digressing. But I think that the idea of digital clothing and in-app in filters, it gives us a new way of showing up to flex and to show like status and to show off and peacock um, without buying any new clothes. And to me, that's really interesting. Oh, you've got some trends to, to share with us today that... Uh... You just came out with a. Uh, I w I'm going to butcher the, the name of this because I can't find it on my other screen. The Denim Directory. The Denim Directory. So, the part of my job, okay, so there's parts of my job. We're all talking about like culture and sneakers, but there's another part of my job that is much more geeky, um, and that's fabrics and surfaces. And it's funny because it's something that. I don't know what I've always been really interested in. Um, and obviously we're everyone who's listening to this, they're into denim. And so obviously denim is a fabric, right? And, um, and all of these mills, it's a huge, it's a supply chain, right? So all of these mills yeah. around the world are like weaving and designing and making denim. And David and I have both been to these shows and, um, they're the best. They got the best food. They got the best drinks. Oh, they do. Shout out to Kingpins. Cause, uh, <laughs> I, I do quite a lot of work with Kingpins and I do 
trend for Kingpin. So it, you go to these shows, right? And all the designers go. So for those who don't know, okay, you've got like your designers from everyone from Levi's to like ASOS and Topshop and, and then independent brands, um, you know, uh, more purist heritage brands would go and they, they go to this. This is, I would say it started off, it was one big room and now it's a few different rooms and you've got all these mills and they're like, here are all our fabrics. And they're just bringing like fabric swatches or jeans, but in the, in the, in the form of a pair of jeans, but it's the fabric that they're, they're selling, not the jean. And you look at all these different fabrics and, you know, uh, you have a touch and a feel and you think about it. And then as the designers for the brands, you'll then go back and then you'll like, go, okay, what, what, what fabrics are we going to design into for, uh, let's say, if you're Levi's three seasons time, because they usually work three seasons ahead. If you're mm-hmm. ASOS, obviously, it's a bit more close to the season. Um, so that is the fabric trade show. It is really fun. You get to see the, you know, the early part of the supply chain and what's coming up. Obviously, sustainability and technology are a huge part of what's happening um as far as innovation is concerned and it's really cool and um and then yeah those designers would design with those fabrics and make jeans manufacture with those fabrics and then they would hit the shop floor a year and a year and a half later something like that so i what i've been doing for the past i don't know about five years is i go to kingpins and i present them so i do this big trend presentation and all the designers from all the different brands sit in a room and I will go, blah, blah, blah. Here are the stories and the things that are happening. And, you know, um, I show them lots of inspirational pictures and we uh, talk about trend and I present to them. Um, And then at that same show, obviously, I'm able to go to these stands and talk to the mills and find out what's new with fabrics. And obviously for the last year, that's not happened. And I really felt like I am a designer at heart. And I don't know, you, you kind of know what's going on. You might, you might be able to reach out to one Turkish mill and say, what's new, Turkish mill? And they'll go, here's what's new. But like what you want to know is what 40 mills are doing that's new. Because when you walk around a mm-hmm. trade show, you're able to like, you know, like soak up all of that information. Um, you know, not that you could go to like 40 different mills and chat to 40 different mills in two days. But you get a bit of an overview and that is missing. Um, and so I asked, um, I think it was about 36 mills in the end, um, and supply chain people in general, uh, manufacturers and stuff. I said, please, can you send us in the fabrics that you're excited about or finishes or what have you that you're really promoting for the season? And then I trended it into um, a, uh, I guess it's about 45 trends in there, something like that. And so it is, it's on the fabric level. And it's so weird because obviously, even if you're really into denim, um, just the idea that, I don't know, I remember seeing on a film, someone was talking about how the fact that a pen doesn't just come into existence, a pen is designed. And like some people have never really thought about that concept. So I think it's the same, even if you like denim, you don't really think that there's, there are fiber developers out there. You know, I was just Mm -hmm. on the phone to someone who is a fiber developer and they are designing fiber 
<laughs> and fiber length and you know and and then that's then you know spun into a yarn and then the yarn is woven into a pair of jeans and so mm-hmm. you know the whole supply chain is like huge and very interesting the number of variables will crush your skull the more you think about it yeah. it's like oh how is it being dyed and what does your dyeing rig look like and what is the the ratio of indigo you're using and is it pure <laughs> indigo or synthetic indigo or is it yep yes you, know, you think that yeah it, it makes like actual clothing design sort of look like child's play that you're playing with Legos or something, whereas yeah, this is true. like you have to figure out how to manufacture Legos. And I mean, it's the same. I would liken, so I think denim is very unique in that way. As we know, you've just mentioned a few things there. You know, if you just think about like the indigo dyeing process and the water and the chemicals and the process that's used to, to just dye, fam- to, to dye yarn, right, and to weave it. Um, and then obviously there are brands out there, which I'm sure a lot of the Heddles fans are not into, but there are brands out there who launder then, you know, or treat the gene afterwards and they're taking the bloody indigo back off again and all the different, Mm -hmm. you know, the chemicals and the water that's involved in that. Um, I would like, I think the nearest that you have in the apparel world is maybe like, um, if you're a knitwear designer, you know, like, um, they go to these sort of amazing yarn shows and Pitti Filate, I think is one of them. And they all go to Italy and they're looking at all of these, you know, um, yarn providers. Um, and so I feel like if I, uh, designed say sweaters, maybe it gets as geeky. I don't know if it gets quite as geeky, but it's along the same lines. Um, but you know, even just, you know, you're a t-shirt designer, where's the, you know, where is the fat, where's the cotton from for a start off? Very important. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, um, is it circular knit? Is it cut and so, you know, there's so many different elements to apparel design that it is a bit mind boggling. And, and just, I think like having come from design and then going into trend forecasting and then like that leading to this sort of geeky, like business to business trade show side of the of the denim industry um you just learn that there's more and more and more and more to the denim world let's get into it what what is coming for us in the world of denim fabric in 2022 okay i'm gonna just go for it david and just tell me if i'm getting too dweeby because it can get a bit like that or not dweeby enough i can i can dweeb it up um so okay to me, the most exciting thing, obviously, I mentioned sustainability. It's, you know, sustainability and transparency is what every mill is like going for right now when they're designing um, fabrics. Um, and what's really cool to me, one of the big things that I think has really um, g- impacted this season that I hadn't really seen before, um, or to the, this extent, is like fiber. I mentioned it earlier. But you know, what you're weaving your um, fabric out of is is changing massively. And, okay, let's just go down one route of that would be, um, you know, the, the natural route, natural blends like hemp and like linen. Um, and obviously cotton is your classic. Um, and then you can, and recycles. And then it's getting really crazy. And this is something I'm not an expert in, but um, I will just try my best to like wing it. Um, are like renewable and regenerative cellulosics and cellulose uh, materials. So what the yarn is made from is, is really interesting right now. And to give you a bit of an example of what I mean, right? Hemp. I don't know. There'll be people out there who are t- too young for this, but... Um, Back in, I guess, the late 90s, I think it was, Levi's came out with um, 
their engineered jeans. And Levi's engineered jeans was like that cool, like twisted scene thing. Um, you can Google it. But they they did it in hemp. They did it in 100% hemp, I think. And um, it was a f- odd blue. It was not like your average um, indigo blue. It was very brittle and, well, hempy. I think, you know, a lot of us have felt what hemp feels like. It's quite brittle and dry. And what's really cool right now is people have worked out, all right, well, hemp does use less water and less chemicals to grow. So from the outside in, it's looking like it's more sustainable than cotton, for instance. So mm-hmm. it's like, okay, well, let's use some. However, if we do 100% hemp, we all know what it's going to feel like. Same with linen. So Very what prickly. Wool is, yeah, it's really prickly. It's not, it's like your prickly jumper that you put on, or sweater, mm-hmm. sorry, I'm in America. So yeah, basically... Um, What's really cool, what a lot of uh, mills are doing at the moment is they are making these really interesting blends where they are putting in some recycled uh, fibers. Um, They are putting in some a bit of hemp to give that character. Then they're using a bit of tent cell. Um, And tent cell is um, a a cellulose and it comes from tree bark and it's very slinky and soft. So you got your 100% hemp, which is scratchy, and then you've got your 100% tent cell, which is very slinky and would be in like some kind of jumpsuit, right? So mixing them together, you've got something that is characterful and a bit drier, and then it's got this lovely soft hand feel as well, and then you've got some recycled content in there. So people are like really looking at the ingredients and to like what, what fibers we put into these yarns to, to give it um a really nice authentic look but have that perfect hand feel um tent cell you know coming from wood bark is more sustainable than cotton uh hemp is more sustainable than cotton therefore the less cotton you or, or you know like virgin cotton you use you blend it with these other things you're coming up with a more sustainable fabric to start off with it's interesting to me is like uh, hemp is something that's sort of been either vilified or like made fun of for the last hundred years yes. <laughs> and seeing it come back around. And one of the things that uh, I was talking about with uh, Morrison on our interview that we did about, oh my gosh, it was about six months ago. Oh, he's so that into hemp. He's my He's life. so <laughs> into hemp. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> and he was talking about how the, these blends that they can feel a lot more like a vintage jean. Mm-hmm. Um, in the way that you know, pure cotton was not, uh, I guess, uh, milled as well a uh, hundred years ago, mm-hmm. and that's sort of the feeling that you're getting out of this more characterful. Um, because it's inconsistent. So you got these inconsistent slubs, you know, like when you look at like a lovely 1950s or 1960s pair of Levi's, and it's got these um, slubs in it and inconsistencies. Like hemp has that naturally, yeah. To me, this is a really interesting time because I don't feel like I've seen as much yarn development for years. Because obviously, I've been covering these kind of shows for probably, you know, I don't know, 12, 13 years. And I have definitely seen hemp blends before, but I've just never seen mills go into such depth of like, okay, what is hemp good for and what's it bad for? So let's play to its strengths. And then what what other fibers would partner up well with it? And it's just, I know it sounds funny, but it's like cute. It's like sweet because I don't like 100% tensile and I don't like 100% hemp, but get them together. They make, it's really cute. They just, they help each other out. And um, I just think it's because you can see it. You really see it in the character of the yarn and it's really rad. Um, also, from a sustainability benefit, I think, you know, everyone is really looking 
at how much recycled content that you can put into jeans. And um, and that's kind of cool as well, because when you see like denim, like old pairs of jeans or just scraps from a factory being recycled mechanically, you know, they're tearing all of these um, fibers up um, and then they're re-spinning it into the kind of fluffy stuff and then, you know, spinning it into yarn. And those those fiber lengths are then really they're short because it's been chopped up and chopped up. So they're not very strong. And, you know, I remember like when people started using recycled fibers, you know, I don't know, a long time ago, say 12 years ago, something like that. And yeah, it would have to be like a 20% amount in the weft because it looked a funny color and no one really liked it. And, and now, you know, they're figuring out how to blend it with different fabrics that have longer fiber lengths in order to make it work. And so more and more, you're seeing increasing amounts of recycled content in, in jeans and not just in a gimmicky way of kind of like, I don't know, you know, this is the, it's a really super rustic pair of jeans and the tag is made from recycled cardboard and we're like shoving it down the <laughs> throat that it's like, but it's just like, no, this can be like, this can look really sophisticated. It can feel exactly how you want it to feel. No one would know, but the technology and the sustainability is inbuilt and that's super cool. And I think it's going to be a huge industry and it's going to boom. It seems like in a lot of these situations, the sort of, while it is a prisoner's dilemma, the onus of responsibility ultimately gets placed on the consumer. Like, well, the consumer needs to want the sustainable option in order for the manufacturer to produce it, which which makes sense. But is there any way to sort of invert that? Um, like, I, there's there was one denim that eliminated, like, it was a black denim. I can't remember exactly which one from your report, but it eliminated like ninety nine percent of the water used. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's the same thing. I often wonder with some of like Nike and Adidas's recyclable technology, where it's like if they can produce a model that's entirely waste driven at the same market price as a lot of their other models, then why isn't everything built out of that? And, and I was just sort of wondering in, in your experience, if there's like, if you, if you see a mechanism that could essentially place some of the responsibility back on the manufacturers, like maybe a, a, a raw materials cap or just something like that. All of this new technology in order to reuse what we've already got, et cetera, et cetera, it's very, very, very expensive. And it is, it is more expensive. Uh, G-Star, I'm not a massive fan of them aesthetically. It's like not, it's a bit too bells and whistles for me. But um, they re released their like most sustainable gene um, ever last year or the year before. Um, again, the, the, um, the fabric was like, they called it cradle to cradle, so circular. Um, and I don't, I think it maybe had some virgin cotton in it, but if it did, it was very little. Um, so all in the right direction. And what they decide to do as a brand is absorb the cost. So they put it on their shelves at the same price. It costs them a lot more. And I think, you know, my message to all the brands out there, you know, going back to this idea of the capitalist model and the Jeff Bezos of the world, it's just like, you're making huge profits. And even when you think you're not doing as well as you'd predicted because of coronavirus, so you're still like, just look at your house that you live in, you know, like look at your lifestyle, et cetera, et cetera. Like what, what is, why has this become so ridiculous? And, you know, I do think that brands have responsibility and, and the whole supply chain as well to be like, how could, like, unless I literally am walking to work and I can't afford a car, we have to address this balance. Therefore I'm going to absorb the cost, you know? 
Um, so yeah, G-Star did that. Hats off, ma massive round of applause to them. They made it the same price and that's the way it should be. For thousands of years, man has cultivated the fruit of the Sapindus mucorasi tree to wash their clothes. The emperors of China knew about them. The kings of India knew about them. Now, you know about them. Petals Denim Wash is a hypoallergenic and non-toxic laundry detergent made from these ancient plants. Petals Denim Wash protect your fades like the royalty they are. So we're just talking about what uh, the the reselling market. I, I saw like some statistic. I'm probably going to get it wrong here, but it's going to make up like more than half of all the the retail apparel market is going to be used clothing. Which I think is great uh, on the one hand, but it sort of provides this, you know, existential threat to a lot of the the fashion companies and the uh, like fa uh, fabric mills. Um, so, yeah, it's a thing that uh, you know the way that fashion needs to be going and consumption needs to be going that a lot of the industry should probably shrink. But you know, uh, everyone except the people that we like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I mean, to be honest with you, this is a really tricky um, thing to talk about because my opinion as a human is essentially that because I don't know, like during. OK, so during COVID, when a lot of the UK high street got into trouble um, and got in the news because they basically were crapping their pants and putting on hold or cancelling all of their orders from factories in developing countries such as Bangladesh and Vietnam, et cetera, et cetera. And I know some of those factory owners, you know, firsthand and they've had to sell their houses and et cetera, et cetera. So it, it's, a, it's a bit of a bugger. Um, and the, it's a weird one because I think if I think of those like poverty line factory workers that we all know exist working all around the world, all around the clock for what? For a pair of cheap skinny jeans that we don't need to buy. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. the, the trouble is with the, the, the solution is it's like everything that we've built that really shouldn't have been built in the first place needs to be taken apart. And the only people who are really going to fully suffer from that are the people that we lured into this in the first place are the people in developing countries who are going to be absolutely screwed. So it's a real, it's the same with, you know, like technology, you know, when you look at these factories, like, right, we need to use less water. We need to use less chemicals. So this machinery comes in and it's really cool. And I'm super excited by it. And we're using lasers and da, 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 da. And it is absolutely great. And it's like, oh yeah. So now we don't need you anymore. You guys, you're all sacked. Um, and it's, it is, it's such a, double-edged sword it really is because i do think that what we built wasn't sustainable but yeah we're just it's we're screwing over the little man yet again and i just don't know what this i don't know what the solution is so going back to yeah. hand clothes it's like i don't really buy a lot of new i still do buy some new um i'm not perfect but i really try not to and it just so happens that i love vintage i just love buying vintage anyway i just you know if I had to choose to buy vintage for the rest of my life or new for the rest of my life, I would, I would honestly 
choose vintage naturally because I just think it's amazing and more inspirational. Um, so because there's no as as environmentally friendly as any of these mills can get, as you mentioned, like it still makes the mm. yeah, any new stuff is not going to be as environmentally friendly as any old stuff. Exactly, because it's already been made. You know, it's a bit of a bummer because I feel like I could answer this in a very philosophical, you know, way that was just like, um, oh, we're just going to find better ways of doing things and keep everyone employed. Um, but honestly, in my soul, that's not what I believe. In my soul, I believe that we have built something awful and and people are going to pay and there's no way of dismantling it like i i think there is i think the future of the human race there is no future of the human race without dismantling what we've built i honestly don't and uh, if we don't and if we do dismantle what we've built we will also be destroying a lot of the human race um through poverty unless some unless we have some kind of counter plan for that and that's that answer, li- you know, lives with the Jeff Bezos of the world because the answer is there. It's just that the greed is also there in equal amounts, isn't it? A lot of this um, environmentalism that is coming at the, the top of the supply chain is, you know, not as much from, uh, I guess, goodwill towards humanity, but more towards, you know, it, they realize that the writing is on the wall. If they want to survive as an industry, they're, yes. they're going to have to make a lot of these reforms. Yeah. And also like, you know, I don't want anyone listening to this going, well, you're part of the problem. I know I'm part of the problem as well. You know, like I definitely, um, I had a bit of a epiphany or a crisis of, of conscience, maybe 10, 15 years ago. I don't know, no, 10 years ago. I'm not that, not that woke. Um, about 10 years ago. And I thought, well, I'm telling people to make more and more and more. Um, and it is a really tricky thing because I happen to have found something that I love doing. And one side of that is just like, look at this inspiring pants that I just saw, this picture of this really nice pant. And I'm excited by it. And essentially, that's that's inspiring a designer to design their next gene. Um, they, are ta- they are tasked with the, the uh, you know, the task of designing their next gene. They, they, that's what they've showed up to work to do. And that's what they're expected to do. But I'm like aiding in that dastardly plan um but what i try and do why i decided i was going to stay in the industry is we do try and push the sustainability sustainability side of this as as much as we can we write as much as we can when i'm stood in front of an audience i talk about as much as i can because the system is the system um there was a was a while ago Last in 2019, 2019, I went to Brazil to Vicuña. Vicuña is one of Brazil, well, Brazil's biggest mill and actually one of the biggest mills in the world, maybe the biggest mill in the world. Now, I think it's either 15 or 25% of the yarn that they weave right now, the, the, the denim they weave, is made from recycled fibers. They're so big that they're able to use a lot of their waste. They also use waste from loads of other mills in the area and around Brazil. And so as a mill, their mindset is very much on a sustainable future. Someone commented, because I got all excited about going to this mill and I like posted loads of Instagram stories and I was like, woo, look at the spinning process. Look at this, look at that. Look at this giant mill. And of course I got comments going, you know, fuck this, you know, no one should be making, the reason, these mills shouldn't exist. You know, they're, they're making too much denim for the fast fashion market, et cetera, et cetera. And I think there is something in, I mean, obviously they had a very good point, but there's also something to be said for where you can make the biggest differences in these huge numbers. So if you are target, you're making a lot of stuff. So if you can make 
your stuff in a more sustainable way, you have a huge control, like you have a massive impact. And I think this is the thing, what we were just talking about. We need to probably, as a human race, tear down the whole house of cards, tear it down. But mm-hmm. at the moment, we're not there. At the moment, people are still buying the jeans. So I think the whole supply chain has a responsibility to just try as quickly and efficiently as possible to clean up as as much as they can. And so when a mill like Vicuña is making 25% recycled cotton, I have to applaud that because it's it's volume that counts, it does. And until the demand is not there, that's the best that they can do. And they are pushing as fast as they can to get to 50%, to get to, they fully, they wanna do it, they're nice people. Um, so it's really, I mean, it gets really muddy and like, we're all to blame. We're all consumers, people like me, you know, mm-hmm. we're all, we're all humans at the end of the day. So we've all messed it up, haven't we? So <laughs> maybe to touch on something, I guess a little lighter at, um, in terms of just the looks that are, are, are going to be trending soon, I noticed the eighties are back. Yeah, they are, man. Yeah. And it's really interesting seeing how people are emulated because I mean, acid wash is like, Oh, that's, you know, hundred percent chemical party going on in the laundry. <laughs> um, and so it's really interesting seeing some of these people emulate that. I mean, every season, what's interesting about trend obviously is every season you have different stories. You have quieter design. You know, we have a story, like I said, called devolution where it's much more crafted and obviously the handcrafted movement is, you know, exploding. You know, another really fun trend, obviously, which you've probably seen is like people taking old American quilts and remaking them into like jackets Mm -hmm. and pants and stuff like that. And like we've been tracking that for a few, you know, maybe two, three years or something, but that's like exploding. And that is like individuals making their own shit and selling it directly like peer to peer, um, which is super, super cool as well. I mean, I could talk for hours about all of the stuff mm-hmm. that I am excited about. But yeah, that craft and the craft movement, it's going to be huge. Oh, and the other thing I think is really cool, and again, this is technology driven, is that, you know, because of platforms like Instagram, because of platforms like Depop, and, you know, like it's happening, it's happening on our, our favorite platform, TikTok, where people are showing like how they make things mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Sorry if you hear that, Bill, that's my my cat um but when you know what's exciting is is technology is allowing for those designers who are maybe only making a small amount of jeans but they're able to get in front of a lot more people and there's a lot more of them so i like the idea of this like cottage industry of millions of creative people being able to do a few at a time and like maybe that could be the replacement for mass mm-hmm. manufacture and speed manufacture and maybe we'll get more and more used to buying more expensive crafted uh goods from emerging talent direct you know rather than them having to i don't know work in house for a big brand or or or, or, or i don't know like the the fashion system used to be kind of like yeah getting the right press or getting it on a celebrity or whatever and you know, because of these other platforms out there, because of technology, this stuff is getting in front of more and more people. So I like the idea of that. I like the idea of like reversing the system of manufacturing mm. and it being millions of creatives making for millions of people rather than a few brands and manufacturers making for millions of people. If people wanted to know more about Trend or follow you or anything like that, where, where's the best place to find you? 
Um, so mostly I'm on Instagram still, um, Denim Zoo's on Instagram. And then we have a, uh, we've been tinkering around with our website actually and redesigning it like on the sly, like not in a big ooh, redesign like uh, announcement, but we have just like jazzed it up a little bit and we've got some really cool um, articles that might be up by the time this comes out. We've got one by from um, Will Varnon, who is uh writing about the Levi's back patch through the ages and then all the like cool little, you know, um, design updates um, from their collaboration. So that's going to be really cool. We've got some good stuff coming up on there. And like, we really do want to talk a lot about um, sustainability up on there and like the supply chain and all of that stuff. So I think if people are in either in the industry or want to be in the industry and want to learn about all this weird geeky dweeby stuff, then we are trying to, you know, really... You know, we we don't publish a lot, but when we do publish, we try and like get some sustainability out there and technology and stuff like that. But yeah, Instagram is the best place because that's the channel where we promote all of the stuff um, and the links in the bios, etc. Denim dudes and denim dot Exactly, that's it. You got it in one. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on. This was a real pleasure and uh, great to be able to talk again at length for you know since we don't get to see each other in person all that often anymore. Well, lovely to speak to you as always. And um, thanks, rest of the Heddles team. Thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks, Amy. See you. Bye. I want to thank Amy so much for coming on. She was a great guest and a great sport for answering all of our trend questions. If you want to know more about her, you can find her at Denim Dudes on Instagram or at denimdudes.co. Uh, that's her website. And then you can also find that... Uh, trend forecasting report that she mentioned and it is available as a pay what you want uh fee for that so hopefully the you know bigger brands can subsidize the smaller ones there as this is the first time you know a lot of these uh, denim trend packages tend to be very very expensive but this is one that uh, if you're a smaller brand and want to get in on what she has to offer it is a pay what you want service that radiohead model yeah it's like uh in rainbows but in in jeans there we go if you want to support the show, you liked what we're doing here, uh, you can always leave us a review on our iTunes page. That always helps. Thank you to those that did. They make us smile occasionally. And uh, if you want to support the show in another more monetary way, think about joining Heddles Plus. It's our new membership program that is launching probably by the time that this is out. That has uh, more Heddles content. It's got giveaways. It's got a uh, online chat community that you can talk to us. And um, a couple other things that are escaping me at the moment. But it's great. You can sign up for that at heddles.com slash heddles plus. Uh, and if you have any questions, comments, concerns, read what's our email address? Blowout at heddles.com. That it is. All right. Thanks for joining us. See you next week. Bye-bye.